We're glad you're with us and if you're visiting with us as part of our preschool family Sunday, welcome to you. Some I had a chance to say good morning to others I haven't. I hope I, after the service I'm able to just say hello to you and thank you for being here and thank you for allowing your children to come to our preschool. It's such a gift. And uh, if you're watching online, we're grateful that you're here. And if you're here and you come regularly or often, we're grateful that you're here. It is a joy to have you here today. This week, we want, we want to continue on in our series on, on our watch. Last week, we started this series by considering how God has called us to be revolutionaries of hope to those that we work with, that we live with, and that we play. Today, we're making room for an unexpected guest. And I want to ask you this morning, in your notes, if you have those outlines, follow along with me. Have you ever experienced an unexpected guest? Ever had somebody show up that you weren't prepared for? Put up your hand. No? Not, no one over here? All right. <clears throat> Let me ask you a couple of questions. Uh, maybe, maybe your spouse brought their boss home for dinner and you didn't anticipate it. Or, or, or maybe somebody that you knew from high school showed up in the in the city and came over to say hello just to see and check up on you and yet you, you, you weren't ready for them. How, how many of you like a messy house when guest people come? I have to tell you a secret. When I was doing ministry, I would never tell people I was coming to visit them. I always showed up unexpectedly. You know why? I didn't want them to take three hours to clean their house before I got there. I wanted just to show up and see them in their life, in their, in their everyday experience. And, and sometimes that felt a little uncomfortable, and I get that. But I wanted to just accept who they were and what they were doing. So how do you feel when you have an unexpected guest? How do you, do you think you've got time for some of these interruptions? No. Good. <laughs> do you see these interruptions that sometimes come into your life and come into my life? as an interruption, or maybe it's a divine appointment. Maybe it's something that God has done in somebody's life and that they've just led them to you at just the appropriate time. I wanna tell you and show you about a group of people that many times we don't think about when we read scripture. But I wanna to talk to you about the Bedouin people and they're simple shepherds in the desert. So when we get to the story of Jesus and we find that there were shepherds watching their flocks by night, it, you would probably anticipate something very, very different. When I went to Israel both times, we were invited as guests to meet and spend time with a Bedouin family. And you might think that we were an imposition for them, but it was all pre-planned. And one of the things that I learned about people over in the Holy Land and actually in the eastern part of the world, is that they love to have fellowship and they love to have people over. And so here's a picture of their tent. And literally what would happen is they would open up the flap, just like you see there, and inside would be a fire. There would be their living quarters. The cool thing about this is that they could take this up and put it up and down in probably about an hour and a half. They were nomads. And so they were just temporary. But as we learn with Eastern people, they're all about community and they love being with people. Not so much us in the West. 
You know what? We're a little bit more independent and we're a little bit protective of our homes. But it seems to me that hospitality is an ancient practice that sometimes we don't practice anymore. So when you get invited guests at a Bedouin family, we knew exactly what we were getting into because our, our guide had warned us. You see, the tea at the beginning is very, very sweet. But then, as their time comes to an end, they don't get up and go, Bob, it's time to leave. What they would do is they would stop adding sugar to the tea. So literally what would happen is you'd have these lively discussions and they would cook a meal for us and they would be constantly pouring tea. But when it was time to come to the end, they weren't rude, the tea just got bitter. That was your cue to leave. It's like, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I have people over and they stay a little longer, I'm gonna go upstairs and get my toothbrush and come down and start brushing my teeth. God most often uses unexpected events to bless us. So this morning, I want you to see how the timing was so crucial in the story and the arrival of the Christ child. You'll be amazed at some of the timing, but there are also going to be some questions too. But let me ask you about this. What about your life? Do you ever question the timing of events in your life? Are there times when you can see the hand of God working that brings great confidence and builds your faith in his love for you? But what about the times of the unexpected? The challenging? The hurtful? Is God in that too? Just think about that in your own life. You see, timing is everything in our lives. It could be an illness that comes. It could be an unexpected death. It could be a sudden divorce. It could be anything. But do we trust God in it? Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, said this, and I quote, Another aspect of a fully surrendered life is trust. Abraham followed God's leading without knowing where it would take him. Hannah waited for God's perfect timing without knowing when it was going to be. Mary expected a miracle without even knowing how. And Joseph trusted God's purpose without knowing why circumstances happened the way that they did. End of quote. Powerful words for us today. Would you join me this morning in considering the timing of the Christmas story? In your notes, look at what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, At the time the Roman Emperor Augustus declared that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Cornelius was the governor of Syria. I want to look at three timing points this morning. The first one was the political timing. Caesar Augustus. Now, who was Caesar Augustus? 
Now, Caesar Augustus was the ruler of the entire Roman Empire. He ruled from Rome, and then he had his rulers who acted on behalf of him in other regions. Because as we carry on with the Christmas story, there's another character named Herod. He ruled over Judea and Samaria, but he was subservient to Augustus. But here's what I want you to know, that Augustus was known as the savior of the world. Augustus, like most inventors, created whole new methods by which the empire would govern the world. They had an army that pacified all of the turmoil that was going on. They had coinage that stabilized trade and encouraged all kinds of growth. The poor were given land and new colonies. They built roads and they repaired them. The laws were administered all seemingly off the top of his head. He did some incredible things. And here's the thing I want you to think about. He was 19 years old when he started this. He was ready to answer Rome's problems. He learned how he improvised, or we learned how he improvised and extemporized and delayed and consulted and developed a new Rome in which the fascination still lies. Cheryl and I had the privilege of being in Rome this last year. What an amazing place. The changes to the very fabric of Rome devised by Augustus has endured for centuries. And most importantly, he found the solution to the endless series of warlords, because basically what would happen is there would be war after war, and they were just jostling to see who was going to be in charge of the whole empire, and he created such a, a stronghold that they didn't have to worry about that for years. And giving the ambitious Romans the, the in, illusion of controlling pardon me, continuing to have power within their control, yet maintaining actual control that was in their hands. Now we do so too. But what, he appeared to be just another citizen. At first, in his peers, he was just a little cynical, a little ruthless, but brilliantly successful. But let's talk about the census. The census was taken for two reasons. It was taken for the military draft and was taken for taxes. The first one is it provided him an accurate count of those in his empire who he could count on to serve as soldiers. So there was a method to this tax. He wanted to know how many people were there. So if he needed to enlist them, he would know exactly the size of the army he could have. And the second thing was that it propped up his finances with a tax for the kingdom. This was like his carbon tax for us. We don't think, never mind, I want to go down that road. But when we think of tax, that's what we, I was sitting and having coffee with a couple yesterday, I was told them about what we were talking about today, and they said, you're going to say carbon tax, aren't you? He said, everybody's thinking about the carbon tax. I said, okay, I'll talk about carbon tax. But what happened was, Augustus allowed the Jews to live under his rule, and thus, he, they didn't have to require participation in the military. But, they did have to pay taxes. The man of great power and prestige barks out an order to his kingdom, not realizing that in doing so, he plays right into the hands of another kingdom. But I want you to see, secondly, the power confrontation between a great king, a powerful king, and a baby. 
Please begin to see how the writers of Scripture use contrast to give insights to the plan of God. In Rome, that then Savior of the world was invoking his power for selfish reasons. Yet in doing so, setting the table, he established peace in the empire. He had built roads for easy transportation. He established one language that everybody spoke. And it basically became a setup for what God wanted to do. He was setting the table for a new king. But once again, when political rulers ruled, it's the little guy that gets the fallout. I want you to see Joseph here as a part of this scene, having to deal with the inconvenience. Much like today, friends, you and I have to deal with the inconvenience of the decisions that have been made that we have no control over. Our economic climate affects all of us. Stuff in our life affects all of us. Health issues, relationship issues. What do you do when this happens to you? Where do you turn? What was Joseph's impact? Well, I want you to see that his plans were interrupted. Joseph has a wife who's married and she's pregnant and he's trying desperately to provide a place for, for this miracle to occur and suddenly he gets an email. It's a, I've updated, the, updated the, the means of transportation here. He gets an email and he goes, I better go get some cash, I gotta go on a trip. But my wife's pregnant. This appears to be bad timing, doesn't it? One of my favorite verses in Proverbs 12, 16 verse 8 says, people make plans in their minds, but the Lord decides what we'll do. Could you this morning believe that all you're experiencing in your life, all the challenges, maybe even all the hardship, do you see it as circumstantial? Or do you believe that God may have a plan for your benefit? in the midst of that. I want you to look secondly at the political timing. Now back to our text, look what it says. All, all return to their own ancestral, ancestral towns to register for the census and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. As I stated before, this young couple had to cope with the pressures of the political system that seemed oblivious to their circumstances. But little did Joseph know why it was so significant for them to go to this village. You see, the prophetic timing is about the, t about the town of David. It's about Bethlehem. You might be saying, well, what's the significance about that? That's a great question. What do we know about Bethlehem? Well, today it's a Palestinian city in the central part of the West Bank. It's opposite of where Gaza is. It's on the east side. And it's perhaps one of the visited places and one of the most visited places in the Holy Land during Christmas. I'm not so sure what's going to happen this year, but it's 10 kilometers south of Jerusalem. The traditional location of the birth of Christ is a church, the church of the nativity. 
And we're not sure if this is the exact spot, because over centuries, a lot of conflict and destruction has occurred. But there are three truths that I want to explore so that you understand the significance of Bethlehem. I want to bring Bethlehem into our awareness. The first thing is that Bethlehem, there was a prophecy about the Messiah. We sang about that this morning. Approximately 13 different prophecies in the Old Testament predict the events of the birth of Christ, and one of which refers to where he will be born. And we discover in the prophet Micah these words in your notes. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now Bethlehem, you have to understand when you look at scripture, you have to understand the meaning of some of these words. I mean, what does Bethlehem mean? Bethlehem means house of bread. Wouldn't it be necessary that the one who claims to be the bread of life would be born in the town called a house of bread? I just love how God puts those little details together if we dig deep, dig deep enough. Ephrathah means fruitfulness. The verb Ephrath means to be fruitful. Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 8, 15, verse 8, that when you produce much fruit, you will be my disciples. From this little place, God would raise up a Savior who would give us hope and security this Christmas. The people of Israel knew the prophecy, but did not know when it was going to happen. And it was so well known that the atheist Herod built a castle perched on a hill on the city's southeast side because he worried the new king was coming. He wanted to be ready for him. He was nervous that he would lose his life. And we know that Herod didn't have a good nature about him because if we think he wasn't, if, if we think he was a good man, then we learn what, about the whole story of the, the Magi coming and visiting the Christ child, that they don't go back and tell him where Jesus is. And as a result of that, he puts out a mandate for any boy under two years old to be murdered. Not a nice guy. He understood the threat of a new king. But go back to verse 4 of Luke chapter 2. Now he, Joseph, had to go to Bethlehem in Judea because it was David's ancient home. The line of David for us, friends, is the redemptive plan. God made a plan right from the beginning of time to bring you and me into a relationship with him. You may be here this morning, and it was by chance that you found yourself here in this service. Is it happenstance, friends? Or is it heavenly directed? Something for us to ponder. A small town, true story, had three churches, Presbyterian and Methodist and a Lutheran. And all three of them had serious problems with squirrels in the church. And each church in its own fashion had a meeting to deal with the problem. Presbyterians decided that it was predestined that the squirrels be in the church and they decided to let them live with them. The Methodists decided they would deal with the squirrels lovingly in the style of Charles Wesley and so they humanely trapped and released them in the park at the edge of town and went three days, they were all back in the church. But the Lutherans had the best solution. They voted the squirrels in as members. 
And now they only see them at Christmas and Easter. <laughs> so many of us are familiar with the verses in our outline from the prophet Isaiah describing that Jesus had to come from the line of David. Let's review this. Look in your notes. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let me take a moment this morning and help you to see how the Old Testament helps us interpret and understand the New Testament. And I don't, I don't have in this, this in your notes and I don't have it on the screen, but if you have a version app, just turn in it, or a Bible, turn it to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Here we have the story of the prophet Samuel going to visit a little family, the family of Jesse, to anoint the new king of Israel. And, and God tells Samuel to go and he fears for his life because there's already a king and his name is Saul. Look what it says, and I'll read it for you in verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to this sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited him, all of them, to the sacrifice. Now Samuel is an unexpected guest to the town of Bethlehem. And he brings concern for the elders and for Jesse's family. And you might know the story. The father parades all of the sons before the prophet because one of them is going to be the king. He brings the oldest down to the second youngest. But none of them are acceptable. And so in verse 11, he says, Jesse, are these all your sons? And he said, no, they're still the youngest. Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Why does God choose to reveal himself through a shepherd? You see, just like Jesse and the elders of the town had to learn, Joseph, the key figure in our Christmas story, also had to learn a lesson, and that's this, that Joseph had to trust the process. I deeply learned this principle in Israel. God wants us to trust him in all aspects of our lives. When you trust his plan, when you follow his leading, and when you surrender your control over to him, then we can really trust him. And that's when we will have tremendous peace in our lives, when we trust the process. Let me ask you a question this morning. How's your peace level today? You a little anxious? A little nervous? Joseph knew God loved him and knew trusting God would bring comfort and hope. And so he walked in that trust. But what about you this morning? Are you willing to be open to God to join us on our mission of hope this Christmas? Are you ready to join us and ensure that no one goes hungry in our city on our watch by bringing in food bank donations? God has called us to be revolutionaries of hope 
Will we surrender our agendas, our passions, and control this Christmas to allow the unexpected events in our lives to bless us? Can I get a little personal? Some of you need to make a difference this Christmas and, and, and juggle a little bit about our, your Christmas traditions so that you could be here on Christmas Eve at three o'clock in the afternoon. Will you allow this year on your watch to be a clear opportunity for others to see Jesus this Christmas, hear of his message, understand his hope? We need servants who will trust the process and God has gifted us with the opportunity to invite others to get a glimpse of Jesus this Christmas. Can I count on your help? Be like Joseph and experience that God often uses unexpected events to bless us. Now we looked at the political timing, we looked at the prophetical timing. Let's bring this to a close. Let's look at the physical timing. The time for the baby to be born. Some of us, in fact, most of us have family or friends who are far from a relationship with Jesus, and we're praying for them. And this Christmas may be the time for them to consider joining you on Christmas Eve. Last year, there might not have been anything that would kind of motivated them or had them even consider coming and discovering a relationship with Jesus. But maybe this year it's different. With the economic worries in our country we're facing, the hard times are good times for people to start thinking about God. You see, friends, timing is everything. Let me tell you a story. A wealthy businessman hosted a spectacular party where he filled the swimming pool with sharks, barracuda, and other assorted dangerous fish. True story. Do you believe me? Don't. He announced to his guests that he would like to challenge any of them to try swimming across the pool, and he would offer a first prize of either a new home in the mountains, a trip around the world for two, or a piece of his business. No sooner had he announced that a splash happened and a man swam rapidly across the infested waters and bounced up the other side. The millionaire told this dripping man, what a stunning performance. What prize do you want? He answered tersely, right now I don't give a rip about your prize. I want to know the name of the turkey that pushed me into the swimming pool. Timing's everything, friends. Joseph may have been asking the same question as he was making his way to the city of David. Why is Augustus doing this? Why do I have to go to Bethlehem? Why do I have to put my wife in jeopardy and the baby in jeopardy? You see, his plans were interrupted because of the political timing in the Roman world. And he had to trust the process as he began, understanding how the ancient prophets would predict his journey. This could finally be the physical timing. Look at what it says in our notes. And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no longing or lodging pardon me, available for them. Friends, I want to challenge you. 
a, a lot of what our knowledge about Christmas comes from the Christmas cards that we send or we receive, not scripture. Let me give you an example. If you get a Christmas card with three kings on it, one's got frankincense, one's got mold, gold, maybe mold, and myrrh. But there's nowhere in scripture where it says it was just three. There could have been hundreds. You see, we have to look at the facts here. So I want to show you a typical home, a rough, basic home that was like kind of the place more than likely that Jesus' little family had to go to. I'm bringing to your mind the research described of what a typical home in Palestine would have looked like. It's a common home. It's very simple residence where you could live, where you could manage your herds, bring them in at night, keep them safe from the predators. And this could have been the type of manger where Mary and Joseph stayed at. And Christmas Eve, friends, I'm going to show you what a real manger looks like. It's not like your Christmas card. It's profound. But I want you to see that the manger would be the sign. Once again, notice the contrast. Augustus, a man who was called the savior of the world, had power. He had a palace. He had what everybody wanted in Israel. And yet the real savior of the world came to a poor, humble family, ones that made room for an unexpected guest. But I want you to see as we wrap this up that Joseph did not miss the miracle. Nor did the people who took this young couple in. Think of what could have happened. They could have missed it. Have you ever thought about the message in Hebrews chapter 13? It's in your notes. <coughs> Do not forget to entertain, don't forget to entertain strangers, for by doing some, some people have entertained angels without even knowing it. Think of what could have happened. Joseph could have divorced Mary. He had every right to do that. He could have resisted God's command to take him as his wife. He could have snubbed the orders from Augustus. He could have just thought about himself and missed the whole deal. But there were no regrets in his life. He was part of a divine plan that would change the world that changed my life, that can change yours. And I'm so glad that he made room for an unexpected guest. What about you today? Can you make room for someone this Christmas? Can you trust the timing of God in your life? Oh, but we, we already have plans. Interrupt them. You don't see how it could work? Well, trust the process. Don't miss the miracle this Christmas. Remember, God most often uses unexpected events to bless us. Will you pray with me? Invite the worship team to join me here. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for your timing in my life. I may not be facing the challenges that Mary or Joseph had, but I can be at peace knowing that I can trust you to lead me as I navigate through the challenges I encounter anew, even today. 
the political turmoil, the prophetical plans, the physical timing of allowing me to be here with these great people today. Use me to help others to see your love and care and the details of this Christmas. And I pray for each one who is listening to me today. May you find your hope in God's plans. May you experience his peace as you trust him for the timing of everything in your life. And may you experience his uncontrollable love for you today. Because that truly is the message of Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.